Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Trying to track down Nicholas Alaverdian has proven to be no easy task. Before the fugitive was suspected of faking his own death, as authorities in other states were closing in, Rhode Island State Police were looking for him on previous charges, and Alaverdian was already showing he was skilled at disappearing. From WJAR in Providence, Rhode Island, this is NBC10 True Crime International Mystery. Brian Crandall with you again. We're digging uh, into the past of Nicholas Alaverdian or Arthur Knight, who authorities say is Mr. Alaverdian or Nicholas Rossi, a fugitive from the United States, uh, before he was a wanted fugitive that was caught in Scotland, uh, Rhode Island State Police had some interactions with Nicholas Alaverdian uh, for a few issues. I'm joined today by Major Robert Kramer, a detective commander of the Rhode Island State Police, and Detective Conor O'Donnell, who had direct interactions uh, with Nicholas Alaverdian a few years ago. Um, so we'll get into that, but, but first I wanted to ask you both, what do you make of what's happening right now in Scotland? Um, I'll start with you, Major Kramer. What do you think of these developments and this person over there who claims he's not who everybody else says he is? Well, I mean, we don't, we've had no direct contact with any of the authorities over in Scotland, but what I see is what you see in the media, uh, portrayed in the media, and it's, it's vintage of what we believe Alavertian is, an egotistic maniac who, who just doesn't, you know, does anything to avoid responsibility. Um, you know, the fact that he wouldn't show his arms to you, is, again, to me, is indicative of, of him trying to be evasive. And, you know, I, without being personally uh, involved with the people in Scotland, I, I have all the faith and confidence in the law enforcement over there. And I'm sure they did their due diligence in trying to identify this party. So I think at the end of the day, we're all talking to Nicholas uh, Alaverdian. And Detective O'Donnell, uh, you spoke with Mr. Alaverdian a, a number of years ago. Uh, what's your take uh, on this person over there and what he sounds like and what he looks like and kind of uh, his actions and his responses? Does it look familiar to you? It does. Uh, I mean, I hate to say it, but kind of kind of comical uh, just listening to the way he speaks. And he uh, almost seems goes above and beyond to put on the act that he's somebody other than who he really is. And just, just take me back a few years ago, and why were you all involved and in, in looking for Nicholas Alaverdian in Rhode Island? So uh, initially, at the, at the time that I uh, began to look at uh, Mr. Alaverdian was, I was uh, doing uh, sex offender registry um, uh, checks and compliance uh, while assigned to the detective bureau. And uh, Mr. Alaverdian's name came up. Uh, as he was, he had an active bench warrant uh, for his arrest. So, as uh, we used that uh, his arrest warrant uh, as the opportunity to go conduct a compliance check at his house, which was uh, in, in the city of Providence. Um, turns out he wasn't living there. Uh, we did some you know, digging into where he could have been, couldn't find him, and uh, 
got an, an arrest warrant for him for Philly, failure to notify change of address uh, as he was, a, I think, a level two sex offender at that time. Um, and uh, issued the arrest warrant. It was signed by a judge, issued the arrest warrant and uh, put it on Rhode Island's most wanted, uh, trying to seek uh, help from the public to locate him. And this was, was this 2018? I, I don't remember the exact date, but it was around that time. Yeah, and, March of 2018, Brian. Yeah, and when you were looking for somebody, and I'm guessing this is as investigators quite regularly is to try to find people who may not want to be found. Was it surprising to you that you could not find him? Um, I mean, at the at the at the onset, no. At the onset of it, no. It's not uncommon. I mean, it requires a little bit more. Some somebody doesn't want to be found. Sometimes it can be hard. Um, but he just had uh, very little to like no ties in Rhode Island uh, outside of you know who he had been. Uh, you know, documented law enforcement contacts. Uh, so it was just, it was literally like he just, I guess, kind of just up and disappeared. Um, and, and that's why we sought help through uh, Rhode Island's Most Wanted um, to see if anybody could, you know, give us information to his uh, whereabouts. And then at some point you did have contact with him? Uh, I did. Um, so the internet being the internet, um, <clears throat> somebody must have alerted uh, Nick that uh, his face was on the internet and on Rhode Island's Most Wanted, and he didn't take too kind, uh, kindly to that. And uh, one way or another, he called uh, Head State Police Headquarters and was able to get in, put in contact with me, and that's where uh, my experience with uh, Mr. Aliverdian all began. And, and what were those interactions uh, like? I guess, where did he say he was, and, and, and what was his claim? So he wouldn't, he never, he would never would tell me where he was. Um, he was, uh, very, uh, very wordy and he would dance around uh, a lot of, uh, you know, things that you try and pick up in con in context or conversation as to where he would have been. Uh, he wouldn't tell me who he was with, where, where he was really wouldn't say much other than the fact that it was, you know, no longer, I am no longer a United States citizen. I have denounced my, uh, my citizenship. And that he has no intention of ever returning <clears throat> to the United States, um, and then went on to try to lecture me uh, about Rhode Island law. And was he trying to? And I don't know if you know. Do you know what the his sex offender status came from? Do you know what those allegations uh, stemmed from? So at the time, I, I didn't know what like they stemmed from meaning like what the investigation was or the context of it um i just knew that <clears throat> it was an out-of-state conviction from i believe it was state of ohio and that the uh, sex offender board or registration um they determine what out-of-state offenses are equivalent to so if the, the charge i think was like sexual imposition out there i believe so they have their own way of determining what that is equivalent to in Rhode Island and if it is applicable as a sex offense and how much time it needs to be on the registry or if he's a lifetime registrant. So I think they determined that that charge and conviction was equivalent to a second degree sexual assault conviction in Rhode Island. And they dictated however long it was. But as far as like who his victim was and what the allegations were, or and, uh, I, I did not know. But you said he tried to debate you. 
So what was he, was he trying to debate his, his status uh, on the registry? Was it, was, was he trying to talk his way out of that? Yes. Well, not, not, not so much really the, the registry. Uh, I, I guess that was parts of it, but more of it was that he just didn't think he should have a warrant because he was no longer a citizen. He was no longer um, obligated to obey our laws and, and so forth. And, he, you know, used legal jargon and he would, you know, try and throw it at me that he was a lot more educated than me. And whether it be or not, he just, uh, it, it was one of those conversations where no matter what you said to somebody, his opinions, what matters and he's right, I'm wrong. So the conversation ultimately went nowhere. And I'm guessing you used to question a lot of people. Did, did, did the interactions with him stick out with you at all? Or is that kind of par for the course for what you do? They stick out more or less because you try to, you know, every every police officer is a human and they have, you know, a set of, you know, values and we carry ourselves in our own independent way based on how we were raised or whatever it may be. And I like to treat people like people um, and be, you know, treat people how I would want to be treated. And I, I try to talk to people that way. And the way that he spoke to, to you was that charismatic, charismatic, egotistical like listen you really don't mean anything to me like you're dumb you're i'm more of a bother and he just really tried to put you down using big words that you, you know you need a dictionary to define um and that you would never use in a normal everyday conversation and so my understanding is that case was ultimately resolved but he never turned up in rhode island is that correct no um so through our investigation um after you know he started making contact with us or with me. Um, I sought help from our fugitive unit um, who was ultimately able to track him as departing um, the United States out of, I believe it was New Jersey, Newark possibly, um, on an outbound flight um, to Ireland. And, and then, and right, and he hired a lawyer and, and basically that the, the yes, so, failing to yes, change his address that, case was resolved, right? It, it was. Yeah. I was. I later. And, I later learned that. Uh, and then Major Kramer. And then, at that point, when he 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 had disappeared, was it anybody's understanding as to why he may have left the country? I think we now know that he was facing uh, some fraud charges in Ohio and was potentially a suspect in a rape case in Utah. Was that was that known to you at the time, or did you just think he took off? No, I don't think we knew that at the time. I think. Um, this all came to light afterwards. I can only speculate as to why he left. I guess, you know, maybe the pressure that we were putting on him to, you know, obviously register with our sex offender registry. But I think in that time frame uh, after that, um, I think the FBI had put a warrant out for him in, in 10 of 219, 2019 uh, for wire fraud. And I'm, I'm pretty sure he knew that. So maybe he, you know, I can again only speculate that he was trying to avoid that. And then, so once your issue with him was resolved, and as you said, now there's these charges coming from Ohio in particular, uh, what was your next, when did he next cross your radar? I think, uh, you know, I mean, we've done reporting that he started reaching out to media outlets saying he was dying at some point, either at the end of 2021, uh, 20, 2019, early 2020. Um, when did when did you next hear about him and and, and did he surface in, in your view? 
um, he really, so he never really stopped contacting us. You know, he was contacting uh, some of the detectives in major crimes units, specifically our sex offender registry. Um, we later learned he was constantly contacting politicians in the state. I don't think he ever stopped contacting uh, Detective o O'Donnell. So it's just, that was just him until, you know, until, um, until his reported death, which we believe he self-reported. Uh, I believe that was in February of 2020. Um, then after that, I think things just stopped directly from him. And all of a sudden it became, you know, correspondence from his wife uh, or, or the family, you know, the alvadarianfamily.com uh, website. So. Detective O'Donnell, did, did he ever tell you he was dying or, or did, had you stopped talking to him at that point? No, so I'd say, uh, so probably uh, it, the com you know the contacts were frequent at first and then they slowly slowed down and they ceased with me because I, I think he figured out he was getting nowhere with me um and he let he hired a lawyer his case went through the process i do believe that he did continue like the major said contacting the sex offender registry because that was another mission of his was to either get removed from the as a level two and three offender you're usually uh, you are on the Rhode Island sex offender registry so whatever town or city you live in, it'll, you'll be able to go to the website and you'll be able to see the offenders in that area and where they live. Um, and that was what bothered him. And so I do know that he continued to solicit the registry to try and get his level reduced to either a one or completely done away with. So definitely that continued on that front. And I know that I later learned that he continued to contact the AG's office and other other members of the detective uh, or the state police, as well as uh, uh, the, I believe it was uh, Prov. I think he sent letters to Providence Police because that's where he was uh, initially registered at. But after that, I, I no longer had communication uh, really with him. Um, I found out after the fact that the case was uh, disposed of, and then I later learned uh, his name. His name resurfaced as the major said in uh, February-ish, I would say. Right, and, and Major, as, as you alluded to and is now well-known, uh, the belief was that he didn't actually die. What made you believe that he didn't actually die? Well, I, I'll defer to Con on this, but before I do, I mean, anybody who reads that obituary and had any kind of knowledge of Nicholas Alvedarian knew that he wrote that, 100%. And there were certain things in that obituary that just didn't make sense for a person who had passed away. And, you know, for example, uh, non-Hoskins lymphoma, he, he said he was diagnosed with it. And then literally two months later, he was, he was dead. That's uncommon. Um, he spoke about children in the obituary. Um, no one ever knew him to have children. Um, Connie, you can give a little more on that as well. Yes. So when, uh, you know, during the com initial conversations with him, uh, you know, he never dis disclosed, not that it would really be part of the core where I'd ask, hey, who are you with? Or do you have kids, uh, you know, from a guy who's got a warrant or who, who fled? Um, but nothing was ever discussed about how he was starting a new life with his wife and children. That was never mentioned. Um, and this is 2019. And then fast forward, we, you know, I get notified through uh, another members of the detective bureau that um, other agencies were looking at Nick and that they were looking to speak with me because they were hoping I had some information on him. Um, 
And I never really dug too much into Nick's background up until this point. And that's when I started to, uh, because it just, something just didn't sit well with me, with based on how the major said, how he really composed, carried himself, spoke. And it just, it seemed just too, too good to be true. Somebody who called me and was, you know, thrilled about, you know, denouncing his citizenship and starting this new great life overseas. Um, Next thing you know, he's dead from non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which, you know, if you d- I did some, every, I had to do research on and not a really common thing to uh, have at that age. Uh, and then his timeline, all of a sudden he had a wife and uh, children. I believe it was more than one. Um, and as the major said, if you just read the, uh, the obituary and I could probably list, I, I can list several things that were just red flags uh, that stood out. Uh, above and beyond like for example brian like he uh in the obituary it never gave the exact location of his death um also uh rhode island department of health if there was an out-of-country death uh, of a u.s citizen or rhode island resident they would typically get a death certificate from that country of origin within two weeks that still has not happened um so things like that just didn't add up right there's never as far as you know there's never been a death certificate not that we know of no yeah. And no, I, no, not at all. I, 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 that was as part of my investigation subsequent to determining or, or hearing about his death. Um, I, I checked and there was, there has been, and, and I, that was through around the department of health and through Interpol. And then right after that, then did you start hearing that there was supposed to be a funeral? That, that came, uh, that came over the weeks, I believe to follow. Um, and that was just uh, it just another just another thing to add to the list of what made you what made me and a lot of other people think that this is just too too good to be true. Right, and those funerals were supposed to be. My understanding is there was one funeral, and then did you, did you reach out to the to the church to to voice your suspicion? Yes. So. Brian, to, I guess to back up, what ended up happening is I didn't just, uh, this, this was all brought to my attention by the uh, Department of Public Safety out in Utah. So they contacted us, as I said earlier, about, you know, having, looking to speak with me regarding Nick. And I learned that he was a subject of several open cold case rapes. Um, there were CODIS DNA uh, hits that hadn't really been, hadn't been entered or, or checked back in the day. And now they have a new a unit that focuses on that. And this detective uh, or investigator out there came upon Nick's DNA and saw was able to op- or identify several cold case rapes. And one of which I believe I do know that he was able to get an indictment on. Um, so he was just as convinced as I was um, one of a very, very, uh, very, very smart and intelligent uh, investigator. He did some homework on him just, and then came to me with it. And I shared the same views as him. Um, and we started digging and then we started following social media that he was, you know, the Aliverdian family, Facebook page, Twitter accounts. And we started following stuff and, uh, it just, just seemed too surreal. Um, and we all thought the same thing that he faked it. And that's when we started seeing the Facebook post about the first funeral. Um, and coordinating with Utah, they were like, hey, maybe we should reach out um, because now the FBI was also involved because I'd learned of the, the warrant for fraud that they had. And we were like, maybe we should see who's you know, behind this. And uh, that's when I reached out to 
uh, I believe it was St. Bartholomew on, uh, in Providence, the church. So yes, I, I did end up reaching out just to uh, gain information. And then ultimately I shared what I had and, uh, and they didn't feel comfortable with uh, hosting the funeral any longer. Yeah, and then, and then so he tried to, or someone tried to plan a funeral at another location? Did so this the, the it was the, the wife the widow allegedly um so to understand how it all came to be like the major said the obituary did not disclose uh who his wife was um and then that's when we determined this woman named Luis who was supposedly his widow was trying to facilitate funerals from across overseas um and had you know a list of requests I wouldn't say demands I'd say requests that be done at the funeral on, uh, on uh, Nick's behalf. And it was just very bizarre because there was no, Nick had no ties to that community really um, other than maybe possibly having some uh, Armenian blood in his, in his uh, heritage line. But it was just very bizarre. Nick was not part of that community. He didn't know who this, this priest was and this widow from, overseas is trying to set up this funeral <laughs> right and did you and is it fair to say you believed this whole time he was the one pulling the strings uh without a doubt um just the way that it was a even discovering the social media accounts it was history was erased uh nick's history was erased prior to uh, really his death and any history that was discussed or pointed out on those accounts was picked by, you know, somebody that only, that, that could only be Nick. Um, I mean, date, time, location, people present, witnesses for DCYF legislation, lobbying, state house, all these events. And it was just like two picture perfect. And then people commenting on posts on obituaries and then there were responses from the Aliverdian family that were like, to the extent, again, to the date and time, Nick was very proud to stand beside you on this day. And for this legislation, it's like somebody who just died in, 2020, died in 2020, but fled to Ireland and less than two and a half years ago is able to absorb this much information and, and retain it. It was just uh, bizarre. So to me, I knew right then and there that it was just, it was too specific. Um, it it right. just didn't sit right. And, and at that point, I'm guessing Utah was looking for him. But again, as far as you could tell, he was gone. There was really no, no trace of where he was. Uh, Major Kramer, I don't know if you want to speak to this. What does that say to either his ability or the, again, the fact that now he's, he's been gone for quite some time and nobody really knows where he is. I, I think he definitely had some element of being tech savvy, you know, just a small um, piece of uh, evidence is all the emails that are coming to us was from protonmail.com. That's in our industry is, is a commonly used uh, email um, platform for fraudulent activities. So that was another little piece of the puzzle. Um, at one point, um, we had got we had received an email, I believe, from the Alavarian uh, Family Office .com, a URL, um, accusing us of like overloading his social media. Well, someone has to have that technology or savvy to go in 
and, and be able to look at how many times someone from the Rhode Island State Police IP address is actually trying to access uh, whatever social media he has out there. And he, and he was and he was annoyed by that or someone was annoyed by that. Um, so, yeah, I think he you know, I, I think he definitely um, had some element of being able to um, manipulate or being tech savvy to go into the computer, being educated to to learn how to either, you know, track things or even like make yourself disappear, like, you know, be, be, um, you know, be uh, gone, basically. Um, you know, at some point, I'm sure he was using some kind of uh, onion router or a, a tour router or something, because anytime we try to look at the IP addresses, it was clear that those were being masked somehow. Um, I think any of the phone numbers he was probably using to call here or call these, whoever he was trying to call, um, or the family officers trying to call Luis, um, those are typically not, you know, numbers you can't track. They'd be like voice over IP numbers, something that, you know, Laura Foss would have a hard time finding. Um, so, yeah, so he definitely had an element of, of, of avoidance and how to, and how to disappear. Um, and then when you fast forward now to early 2022 and he's apprehended in Scotland or the authorities there claim this is the same person, Nicholas Alaverde and Nicholas Rossi using the name, Arthur Knight, um, what did what did you think, uh, Detective O'Donnell, when you when you saw the news out of Scotland and and I guess some of the first pictures of of this person? Uh, I knew all along uh, he was just there was a gut feeling um, that he was still alive, and I wasn't surprised. I was a little uh, I was hoping we found him a little bit sooner, but I guess uh, you know, everything happens for a reason, and uh, it took some time, but they found him and. I, I see the, the same person uh, that, Arthur, that Arthur Knight is, is, is to be Nicholas Alaverde. And it took some time to see some of those photos and images of him. Um, he still doesn't did up until his recent interviews I've, I've come across. Uh, did a pretty good job trying to cover up who he was, but there's no doubt. Uh, I mean, the lay person could see that there's, they share some pretty good similarities. He did put on some weight but and wears uh, hats all the time, some pretty big ones. But other than that, it's it's hundred percent my opinion. And what does it say to you that this person over there is now doing a bunch of interviews denying that he is Nicholas Alaverdian? Just it really just supports my belief and you know my accusations that it's him. Uh, only somebody as arrogant, egotistical, narcissistical as Nicholas Alaverdian Rossi would do that. He's the only. He's trying to convince every single person that watches that interview that this whole thing is made up and that this poor person is not Nicholas Alaverdian and that it's just a travesty and that he, he just can't believe it. And I feel, I feel, I genuinely feel for uh, his spouse or whoever she, he, she is to him because she, she's, she's mesmerized by what, by, by what this person is Feeding, feeding her, and uh, so I hope the damage can be undone. And uh, God knows how many victims that there may be over there, whether they be financially or any other type of crime. Because uh, for somebody to uproot their whole entire life, go overseas, live a life over there during COVID and all these you know crazy things in, in our in our time, and to have really not much money is going to be coming from somewhere. 
Well, and, um, you know, I think this has been mentioned before that to a lot of people, right, this, this is comical. It's like you have somebody who appears to be, um, you know, pretending to be somebody else, dressing up, wearing an oxygen mask in a wheelchair, um, again, claiming he's not somebody he is. Major Kramer, this is someone who has a significant history and is wanted on rape charges. And even in Rhode Island, from what we now know, there's a history of uh, assault allegations. So make no mistake, um, while the public sees this as comical and a good story, uh, Nicholas Aliverdian is a dangerous individual. If you look at his patent, his past history from police reports, you see there's an MO, there's a mode of operation. And, and it's very similar in a lot of the police reports you read, not only in Rhode Island, but in other states. He, uh, you know, he has, a, he has a history of meeting a woman somehow, whether it be online or somewhere, they end up at someone's apartment, whether it be his or the, you know, somebody else's. And, you know, he prevents that person from leaving. And then an event happens after that. That's a dangerous individual. So, you know, um, the fact that we truly believe that this is Nicholas Aliverian over in Scotland and he is in some sort of custody makes me feel a little better because I truly believe that it's just a matter of time before he would do this again to somebody else. Well, Major Robert Kramer, uh, Detective Conor O'Donnell from the Rhode Island State Police, I want to thank you for uh, joining me. And, and of course, we'll, we'll see what happens next with this, uh, this just crazy story. Right. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. Thank, thank you, you so sir. much. Thank you, Conor. Alaverdine is not wanted on any Rhode Island charges now. The man in Scotland who adamantly claims he is Arthur Knight and not Alaverdian, who is also known as Nicholas Rossi, is still in the court process there as authorities try to get him extradited to Utah to face a sexual assault charge there. I'm Brian Crandall. Thanks for joining this latest episode of NBC 10 True Crime International Mystery.